Grace and mercy and peace be with all of you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to publicly say, first of all, a big thank you to those of you who helped out in leading services last Sunday while I was out of town and leading Bible class. Uh, Just a a giant thank you to the wonderful team of people and volunteers that we have in this place. And going above and beyond that, a number of you paid visits to people in the hospital and in their homes and brought genuine care and love of this Christian family to those in need. It is a true joy to celebrate with all of you and and I just thank you and I give God thanks that we together make up this family of God. You are my joy. You are. You know, as we came out of celebrating Christmas, we were focusing on unwrapping this Christmas story. And for the last two weeks, I preached sermons reminding us that at the very beginning of Jesus' life, it was evident that he was born to be king. Jesus Christ was born as king of kings and Lord of lords, and he still is today. But our God has always been in charge. He always has been, and he always will be. He's always been sovereign. He's always been in control. He was, he is, and he will be forever. And over the next seven weeks, we're going to hear that message on repeat as we open up the Bible, to this story of Esther. Esther is one of those books of the Bible. It is called a a book of history, and it's kind of in the depths of the history section of your Bible, along with 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. It is there to tell the history of God's people. And it's one of these books that maybe some of you have an idea about this story, and, and, I, and I know I'm pretty much positive that there are a number of you sitting in this room who've never read this story before and you have no idea. Probably the only thing you know about Esther is you've heard that name before. Maybe your name is Esther or your mom's name. I don't know. But did you know that Esther is one of two books in the Bible that's named after a woman? That's a pretty serious thing. Pretty significant deal. We will hear over and over again over the course of these seven weeks that there are earthly rulers, earthly powers, nations, empires, kings, who oftentimes think that they have power and might and ultimate control. But what we will hear is that ultimately they don't because God is in charge. Are you ready to dig into this story? I am. I am. Okay, over the next seven weeks, uh, I'm going to prepare you a little bit more and give you a little bit of homework of what to read in advance. And so at the end of my sermon today, I'll, I'll say, hey, next week read this section of Scripture. But for today, what I want to do is give you a little bit of background information on the book of Esther, and then I'm also going to cover chapter one as we kind of get the setting all squared away for where the story is happening. So here's how it began. We read it already, but let me reemphasize it. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 give us the setting of this story. And it begins with these words. In the days of Ahasuerus, 
I think that's how you pronounce his name. I looked at the Hebrew, Ahasuerus. Uh, however, I sometimes like to pronounce his name uh, Ahasuerus, and then you can call him the dinosaur king. Doesn't that sound fun? Ah, it sounds like a dino, the dinosaur king, Ahasuerus. I don't know. He's actually in history better known for his Greek name, not to confuse you, but his Greek name, if you were to look him up, is Xerxes. Uh, and then his son is Artaxerxes. And so you can go into the history books and find all this stuff, okay? Uh, but because the name is kind of hard for me to say, I'm, I'm gonna, throughout the seven weeks, I'm just going to refer to him as the king, all right? The king. So when I'm talking about the king, it's this guy. And I just want to be clear, Ahasuerus, uh, he's not a Jewish king. He is a Persian king. He's a foreign king in a foreign land. So we have no expectation that he's going to be a good guy who knows the one almighty God. All right? Just to get that straight. But I want to give you a little bit of biblical timeline here. And some of this may also be new information for some of you. But this is kind of what gives us the setting for when this is happening and where it's happening. Going back just a little bit of time, in 586 B.C., Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The Babylonians came and destroyed it. And many Jews were taken from Judea and Jerusalem and brought into exile in Babylon, which is to the east of Israel, which if you know your maps, that's like Iraq and Iran and those, that, those modern countries, that, that region. Uh, in Babylonian captivity, we get stories like Daniel. Okay, so Daniel in the lion's den, the three guys in the fiery furnace, that all happens in Babylonian exile. Well, in 539 BC, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. So the Babylonians are no longer in charge, the Persians are. And in that same year, that king, his name was Cyrus, he issued an edict that those who were in exile could return home to their homelands. So when the Babylonians took over, they captured a lot of people, and the Persians didn't want all these foreigners. They just wanted to send them back home. So the Jews went home. Other captives went home as well. So many Jews start returning back to Jerusalem and rebuilding things. Uh, in your Bible, right next to Esther are the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, and those books tell that story about exiles returning and rebuilding the temple, rebuilding Jerusalem, rebuilding the city walls. In 516 BC, the temple was uh, reconstructed because it was destroyed, you know, 70 years earlier, and so now it's finally recompleted. So what you see here is that, you know, Jews were taken into exile in Babylon. Uh, some of them went home, but some of them also did not go home. I mean, it had been 50, 60 years, imagine that, living in a foreign land. And so some people were born in exile and they just, they didn't want to go back to Jerusalem and so they stayed where they were. This is where Esther is and her relative Mordecai, who we're going to meet. They're Jewish people. They didn't return to Jerusalem. They stayed in the land that they were in. Finally, the last date here, verse 3 of chapter 1 said that all of these things happened in the third year of the reign of the king Ahasuerus, and history tells us that this was 483 B.C., all right? 483 B.C. So this is when the events of Esther take place, 
They are Jewish people, Esther and her relative Mordecai, who we will meet, living in the foreign land. They didn't go back. Some people went back, but they're still Jewish, and they're living in what used to be Babylonian captivity. All right, so we're in 483 B.C., and the story takes place in uh, the Persian capital in a city called Susa. S-U-S-A. You can punch it into your online uh, map of choice, and it will populate, and it will take you to a place in modern-day Iran, okay? So Susa is on the very western side of Iran, very close to the Iraqi border, and the remnants of uh, these massive palaces are still there. You can look at them on satellite imagery if you want to. The town is called Susa, and it is in modern-day Iran. Now, if, unless you haven't been paying attention, uh, the nation of Iran, as we know it today, uh, has made its way into headlines and worldwide events again. Uh, very recently, in this uh, last week or two, what a crazy turn of events. I'm not going to make any political statements, nor am I going to draw any theological connections between Esther and her time in Susa uh, to modern-day events. There are no connections to be made other than to state this, other than to say this, what we experience in this world, the world operates in one sphere, and the world operates in this sphere, the world of, of having um, political leaders, political powers, nations, empires, powerful people, powerful uh, places, battling for power with other powerful nations and peoples and kings. It's the way that the world operates, for better or for worse. It always has. It did in the time of Esther. It did before Esther. It still does today. But what we are going to see in the book of Esther, and what I want us to be reminded of, is that whatever powers of this earth claim that, that they claim to have power, and they seem like they have power, they have nothing in comparison with God Almighty. And that's what we're going to hear in the story of Esther. God is sovereign. God is in charge. But here's a little interesting tidbit about the book of Esther. Esther is the only book of the Bible that does not mention God. Huh. How is it in the Bible then? I thought the the Bible was about God. How can it be in the Bible if it doesn't mention God? who God is and his name. Well, it's kind of a genius uh, way of writing for the author. While his name is not specifically mentioned, the actions of this sovereign God are on every page and in every event and every plot twist of this story. We see that God is sovereign and that God is in control even when you're living in a foreign land, even when you are the minority, even when it seems like the political powers are oppressive over you. God is still sovereign and God is still in control. I don't know. Maybe that's how your life feels right now. Maybe you're feeling in your life that things are out of control. I don't know. Maybe you're feeling a bit lost in all of this. 
For some of you, I know you get very carried away with worldwide events, and maybe when you watch the news, it causes these stirs of emotion, and you go, ah, what are we going to do with all this? For some of you, you know, maybe, maybe you're feeling disconnected from those that you love. I don't, we've got college students returning back into town. You know, maybe they've been with family for the last number of weeks, and as they return here, while they may be excited, maybe there's also that disconnection from family, and you go, I long to be there, but I'm here. How does this play out? Just yesterday, you know, I returned from vacation Friday night, and there were a number of serious things happening with members of our church, and so yesterday I made some visits with with some people that are going through some very difficult and dark and deep times and places, and And I know that those are realities. What I pray that you experience as this plot unfolds in the book of Esther, once again, I I, I want you to hear that God is sovereign, that God is in control over all forces of the world. Even when it doesn't seem like it, even when it doesn't feel like it, even when you can't see it, He is. I tell you, He is. God is in control, He is in charge, and He loves you. But oftentimes, and I know this, it feels like we are pawns in the hands of the powerful. Like we don't have much say over our ultimate destiny. Sometimes it feels like the powers that be make decisions and we just have to go along with it and live with it. Well, that's kind of how chapter 1 of Esther actually begins as well. Let's go back to this story. In the third year of the reign of the king, he throws this giant party. He is in charge of 127 provinces that stretch from India to Ethiopia. I don't know if you know geography, but that's a lot of the world. He's in charge of all of it. And so he throws this 180-day-long feast and festival for all the people in order to celebrate what? His greatness. (laughs) He wants people to be so grateful for him and his power and his bounty. And after those 180 days are finished, he's going to throw a seven-day feast just in that capital city of Susa where he lives. And again, the whole point is to display his lavishness. You can read about it uh, on your own and get the details, right? But here's the, here's the deal. They party a lot. They partied a lot. They ate a lot, and they drank a lot. And when I say they drank a lot, they drank a lot. <laughs> and that's the story that we get is a king who drinks a lot. In verse 8, it actually gives the law about how much they're allowed to drink, in per- there was a Persian law that allowed people to drink only when the king drank. In verse 8, it's saying the king orders a new order and says, drink whenever you want, <laughs> as much as you want, wherever you want. So this is what we have. We've got a drunken, arrogant, prideful king who on the seventh day of his seven-day feast is so full of wine that finally he wants to bring in his wife, Queen Vashti, so that he can show them all the splendors of his wife. Well, she refused. Good for her, right? Yeah, the women are saying, yeah, right? Good for her. So she refused, 
and then this drunken king gets his drunken advisors to come and offer him, I'm sure, some good, wise advice. And, and the king says, what should we do about my wife? And they say, we have a good idea. Issue an order that she can't come into your presence anymore and you'll get a better queen. And also, send an order through all of India and Ethiopia and everywhere in between that every woman should listen to her husband. <laughs> and so the king does. And chapter 1 ends. Pastor, that's not much of a Bible story. I mean, where's the love? <laughs> where's Jesus? Where's the peace in all of this? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, don't let me get too far ahead of myself, but it gets better. All right, the story gets better. The plot unfolds. We're just getting it set right now. But I don't want to jump too far ahead, but I do want to tell you this. Here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. In, king, in chapter 1, we see that the king has a lot of power, and he uses his power to make choices. He chose to eat, and he ate. He chose to drink, and he drinks. He chose to have his wife come, and she doesn't come, and maybe he doesn't have that much power after all. <laughs> but what we're going to see is that God has the power to choose. And when God chooses, God chooses. Today, also in the church calendar, I told you, Today is the celebration of the baptism of our Lord. We read the story in Matthew 3. And what is the story of the baptism of Jesus? It is the demonstration that Jesus is the Savior of the world who takes the sins of the world upon himself. And there in the waters of the Jordan being baptized by John, the whole Trinity is present. The heavens open and the voice of the Father speaks and the dove descends upon Jesus. And that voice says, this is my son, my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. God chooses. God does the choosing. God does the saving. God does the miracles. And we saw it demonstrated today in the baptism of two young girls, Josie and Avi. God does it in baptism. God does it. God has the control. God has the power. God has the sovereignty to make a choice to choose to save, to choose to wash, to choose to claim. And God spoke to those young girls today and said, these are my precious daughters and with them I am well pleased. I will never leave them. I will never forsake them. And that word is spoken upon all of you, baptized children of God. You are his now and forever. What we're going to see as this story unfolds, when Esther pops up on the scene, I realize you didn't even get to meet Esther today. You will very soon, next, next week. But when Esther comes on the scene, we will see that she is chosen. And when she is chosen, she's chosen for a purpose. You know, this is what God does. When he chooses, he chooses for a purpose. He chooses for a purpose. So when we say God chooses you, you have a purpose in his choosing you. Do you know this? I want you to know God has a purpose for you. And when I say that, I'm not saying he's got something different in mind than what you're already doing. He might. But God has a purpose for you today. Today, God has a purpose for you in whatever you do. Tomorrow, when you bring your kids to school, there's purpose in that. When you help your neighbor move their snow, there's purpose in that. If you find yourself in a hospital room, there's purpose in that. There's purpose in it all because God has called you and claimed you and chosen you to be his child. And he says, I am well pleased with you. Live fully alive in my name now and forever. You've been chosen for a purpose for such a time as this. 
Here's your homework. We'll put it up on the screen. Next week, read, please, Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. This is the first half of chapter 2. This will be our focus for next week, Esther chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. Go in God's peace and with his strength. Amen. Amen.